Fuel, the podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership within the automotive industry. Fuel is bringing you the latest in proven strategies and techniques that can take your service department to the next level. All right, welcome back to the Fuel Podcast, going live to you from NADA 2024. Uh, I've got a nice guest with me here, Mr. Um, Matthew Groves. Groves, right? Yes, sir. Matthew Groves. So he's going to uh, be joining with us today, um, kind of getting into what you do a little bit, you sure. know, and then, and also kind of talking about how we're kind of partnering with Dynatron just a little bit as far as, you know, how we can benefit each other or how we can kind of work in your state and things of that nature. So, um, also got Miss Maureen Martin. She's going to be sitting in with us. You may hear her chuckle, laugh, you know, <laughs> say a couple of things over there. Glad to be here. <laughs> so, yeah, Matt, if you don't mind, just, you know, for the listeners and everything, just kind of start it off with, you know, kind of what, what you're doing, you know, how your NADA experience is going, and then we'll just kind of roll with it from there. Sure. So, uh, my role is as the president and CEO of the Colorado Automobile Dealers Association, um, what we are is just a trade association that represents Colorado's franchise new car dealers, of which there are 270. Uh, and I'm sort of focusing us back into our primary uh, function, which is just advocacy for dealers in front of the state legislator, in front of uh, all of the governmental agencies. And so in order to be able to do that, we sort of need to be out in the field and identifying where the shortcomings are and how we can work with policy to make it more advantageous to those 270 dealers. So, like, in dealing with that, I mean, like, how confident are the dealers when it comes to legislation, right? How confident are the dealers going to the state and going to saying, hey, man, we need, we need to fight this or we need to update this? I mean, like, what's your perception as you talk to the dealers in your state? Well, it, you know, individually, some have higher levels of, of engagement than others. It is not really a transparent process, right? Some things come out as bills and they go through the traditional method that everybody learned, uh, some other policies get jammed into bills that you never saw coming. Some of them are you can get them authorized, but you can, then you can't get money for them, so they stall out over a couple of years. Where Colorado has had great success is in following CADA's lead. So if I call out to my dealers and say, hey, we have a bill before the Senate this afternoon, can you make it? Uh, they've really never failed to show up in numbers and at least give an on-the-ground perspective of this is how this policy is working in my part of the state, which is not necessarily Denver, where our capital is. Uh, and this is what the impact would be if we were not successful in, in trying to facilitate small business growth. That's outstanding. I mean, just getting them more involved and more aware. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people don't want to take that action, you sure. know. Sure. <laughs> and we always make jokes. I'm actually a Start Smart coach, so I work with our customers on warranty filings and things like that all the time. And I was like, I, I swear they, they change stuff in the middle of the night. I swear they do. So. It does. You know, it, it's tough because my background is obviously in legislation. I came from the Congress in Washington, D.C., and so, you know, my position is really to translate policy language into what it means for dealers. And then vice versa, when they tell us why this won't work, make our legislators understand that in a way that is sort of policy talk or at a 30,000 foot level. Everybody comes from a background and very, very few of those 100 legislators come from an automotive background. So, you know, I, I don't want to be sort of condescending to say we're educating them on the process, but we have to take them into a level of, of depth and of clarity far more than they're used to going into automotive retail because it is still a bit of a niche field. Uh, many of them come from, you know, military background or in our state agriculture. Some are educators. Uh, and we've got to encourage them to get outside of their comfort zone, if not for us, because we're asking then for, you know, the 40,000 jobs that we provide for Colorado and the $886 million of sales tax we collect to keep the engine going. But I like what you're doing, though. I mean, like you said, it's, it's not 
educating, like saying they have, they don't know what you're doing, they're doing, but it's kind of being a translator, you know, taking that lingo from the legislation. I mean, everybody can agree that the lingo coming from Washington and the lingo in those bills, sometimes hard to figure out. For sure. It's definitely hard. You got to have some kind of a background. You got to be some kind of a lawyer or something like that. And so for, for fixed ops guys, some of them can get pretty granular with that, but some, most of them don't. Right. Most of them have time to get granular with that. So I think this is amazing. I mean, like, what would you say are some of the, the best things as far as educating or starting to, to, to close that gap, getting them to understand the legislation and then the conversations you have as far as like, all right, this is what that means? Well, you know, I don't want to give any false pretenses. I'm by no means an expert in this, right? So the, the best thing that we really can do is to get a legislature and take them back to their district and bring them into a dealership. Ultimately, if we're successful, we're facilitating long-term conversations between them and their dealer employees that do not involve me at all. Uh, and we fully encourage that. But, you know, to the extent that they can't all get back to their districts or because dealers are clustered sort of in suburban neighborhoods, maybe not all of them have dealerships, um, those are the ones that we really have to reach out to and try to bring everybody in and say, you know, it is one thing to say that, yes, theoretically, we would like consumer-friendly policies, but if that adds cost and adds cost and adds cost, that has the effect of being consumer-unfriendly because mm. people can't now get, uh, you know, their cars fixed at a reasonable price. So we have to make them understand the business-to-business relationships of getting spare parts in, of being able to compensate our uh, our mechanic, I'm sorry, our auto techs at a... Uh, retail prices instead of warranty prices and trying to make those two match up. Uh, and honestly, the biggest situation we're facing right now is the labor workforce. Who's going to be doing these jobs in 10 years when the average age of our technician force is, is approaching retirement age? So yep. sort of working, you know, the folks who are interested in education start to come in at that. How can we work through the community colleges and the trade schools to start giving our, our folks a, a, an outlet or a pathway without having to go through four year of education and coming out with tremendous student debt. But I like what you said. I mean, you, you, you actually get the legislator to come into the dealership. Sure. Right. Absolutely. And so, and that's outstanding. I mean, have you been, have you been in some of those interactions with the, where the legislators actually going into that dealership or is it, oh, you absolutely. just kind of facilitate well, How's that go? Uh, so, you, you know, typically uh, one of them will say, Hey, we'd like to meet or I'll reach out to them and say, Hey, there's a deal in your district. Uh, we'd love to come in and just show you how operations work, right? What it's like to buy a car from start to finish. And so we'll, you know, start on the sales floor, introduce them to the GM. They'll have a talk about the history in the community and what they've done throughout their tenure there. While we are becoming increasingly publicly held, we still have at least 100 uh, family shops that have been there for generations. Um, take them from there sort of into the finance office, walk them back to the service shop so they can just see what it looks like while everything's happening in real time. I, and obviously some of the most real reactions I've ever got is when we walk them back to the parts shop and they just see a warehouse of parts. <laughs> yeah, <right>? boy. <laughs> and they're like, not, you know, if they know that each of these individual things exists in a vacuum, but they've never really seen the whole process come together. And so when you can put it together and have them talk to somebody that maybe went to a high school near them or went to their high school or has friends with their kids or goes to church with them, uh, it, it's easier for them to say, you know, this is my experience and this is why I work in the industry. And that, that definitely creates a lot of goodwill going forward when we say, if we're going to preserve this industry, here's what needs to be done over the next 24 months. Absolutely. I mean, everything kind of rolls back to, I mean, a community, right? right? I mean, the, even though dealerships get bigger and bigger and, and bigger, you know, and they have bigger networks and bigger chains, it's still in a community. They're still servicing. They still got to drive on the same roads me and you do. Absolutely. So I think that's, that's outstanding that you're bridging that gap or that gap starting to get closed where legislators are starting to see 
you know, this is his community, this is his people, and this is how he can benefit or help them by being a little, you know, getting interested in it or being more educated by it. Right. But I think the fact that you're empowering dealers to, to go ask them, you know, right. get the conversation going. So, I mean, do you get any pushback with any, any of these, any of this stuff? Um, not much. You know, there was a lot of goodwill generated during COVID. Our shops were the ones doing uh, the service on all of the first responder vehicles. And so there, there was a lot that went on there where we were actually getting partnership from the city. Um, we continue to work on a lot of uh, state and local fleets. Oh, nice. Some are able to do their own work, but some municipalities just aren't large enough. Uh, and, and so there's become an increasing interaction with uh, the industry in the state. We're actually part of an environmental program now with the state where you can turn in a 13-year-older car and the state will come around and give you $6,500 off the purchase of a new electric vehicle. So as we're coming in, especially where it comes to electrification, which Colorado is one of our nation's leaders on, we're coming into a time of great uncertainty. It's not clear how we're going to fix these things, how we're going to extend life, how we're going to come up with F&I products that can continue to protect them maybe from years five through eight through ten because we don't really know what the lifespan of that vehicle is yet. We do know that it's Colorado's car, Colorado's goal to get 940,000 of them out on the roads by 2030. That's not a long time. If it's going to work, they're going to need us, and we're, and we're going to need a strong partnership that makes consumers confident in their cars that they're buying. And that largely is, you know, relates to the economic climate today. Obstensibly, the economy is good, but consumers individually aren't feeling great. Right. So as cars get more expensive and financial certainty becomes less certain, you want those products that give you confidence that your car is going to make it from year zero to year 10 when you're taking on a five-year loan. Well, I mean, that's just a lot to think about, right? I mean, that's a lot of, like, a lot of dominoes that have to fall in the right way. And then, sure. but, then, but then ultimately, like you brought it back to, Who's going to work on them? Right. Who's going to? Right. Because it's a different way of training it. We we had a podcast at our coaching summit in New Orleans um, last week, and uh, one of the guys was talking about you know he lifts up the hood and there's a yellow sticker there that this vehicle may cause death because right. of how you got to work on it. So it's a whole different dynamic, and I think you know getting everybody on the same page or communicating is going to be a huge part of that. I'll tell you one of the great successes we had this year with F and I products was. Um, Colorado is one of only four states in the nation that has a cap on what you can charge for gap. Oh. Ours is the lowest. It was always 2% of the amount financed or $300. It's been that way since 1994. So, in, in you know, uh, our attorney general went out and issued subpoenas to gap providers. He was worried that when you canceled, consumers weren't getting their refunds. There was a class action that went hand-in-hand in, hand in that about not giving refunds to consumers. What he learned in the process that we had with him over those years was that this is a huge product. It's voluntary. You don't have to buy it from your dealer. You can get it after the fact, although most people do buy it from their dealer. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, in a world where we're starting to combat uh, catalytic converter theft, where cars are getting totaled out, in a, in a world where we can't stop the catalytic converter theft, so thieves are starting to just take the entire car, Yep. Um, we're having a lot of people call in on their gap claims. So if you have a cap on us that's starting to approach the origination costs and we're losing money on it, it will disappear from the market at a time when people need it most. So, at, you know, at the end of his independent investigation, he came back to us and said, you know, it is a good product. We want to keep it in the market. And we eventually worked out a bill where we were able to double that cap uh, so that we can keep the project, uh, the product going for the next eight to 10 years and protect people. And, you know, what people are expecting to be an economic downturn, although we keep pushing it right, it hasn't actually happened yet. When you buy a car, you've got to look at, you know, the five years of your loan, not yep. the 12 months in front of your face. And, and I think probably there's still a decent chance that we're going to see some sort of correction in the next five years. So kind of leading to the next thing we were going to talk about, you know, 
where does Donatron come up in this conversation in your state? Like why? Like sure. why? Like why Donatron in your opinion? Well, you know, we talked a, bit, a little bit about F and I products generally and how they're necessary to protect the long-term investment. I think what our state wants to see is that there's still competition in the market, right? So the more people that can provide the more products, the more that they customizable to the individual consumer. Um, we want to protect the consumer in a consumer-friendly way. If there's only one company out there offering products, that it's obviously going to create a situation that that's uh, not as great for the consumer. So giving them the choice and educating them on the products and being in every dealership, being able to service, you know, not only the people in Denver but the people out on the Western Slope, the people out on the Eastern Plains, yeah. So that you can, no matter where you are, no matter how much your vehicle costs, you can get an insurance product or you know a warranty product that will cover that vehicle and and keep you on the road. Outstanding. Are you going to say anything? I mean, sitting over looking well, pretty. Just, but. You guys are doing such a great job. So, you know, one of the things I know we've talked about before is, you know, you know, fixed operations is such a huge lever of profitability in the dealerships. And, and really from what we do at Dynatron, that's really where we can help to benefit them in working together to, you know, look at their CPLR, their maintenance CLR. But really it's about education um, and how we can help too. A lot of the, you know, general managers and the dealerships just never had an opportunity to come up the fixed operation side of the house. So I know that's some of the things we're really trying to do. Like even with these podcasts, is really to kind of make it so that it's it's inclusive to everything that's happening in the industry. But how do we also welcome everyone into the fixed operations side? Like you said, our, one of the things we hear all the time is finding technicians, recruitment and retainment of it. Right. And it's really exciting to hear that Colorado is really trying to work at how do we look at that workforce? How do we get younger people to really see automotive as an industry to go into? Mm-hmm. So. That's a big part of what we do when we're trying to work with the dealerships, not just on profitability, but then when you have it, how do you reinvest it into your technicians? Because that's really where we've got to help. We feel a a responsibility to help. So I'm excited to hear that you're doing that. Are there any uh, things that you're hearing when you're out there on the fixed operations side that, you know, would be helpful to our listeners? Sure. Well, first, just a quick plug to what you're saying. I think one of the great assets that's out there right now Obviously, CADA works Colorado. We have the national auto dealers who are, are hosting the show. They've set up an academy out in Tyson's Corner where a lot of up-and-coming GMs have to go through, uh, you know, a series of courses that includes fixed ops. Now, some of them, that is their first experience with, with fixed ops, but it's great that they include that because, you know, you're really becoming well-versed in every aspect of the dealership uh, up and in, to include that because it's one of the line items on your profit and loss. And so I think they're doing a great job helping people get more in-depth on that side of it. I know I went through one of these sort of compressed classes at three days, and I had almost no knowledge of it. Uh, that was my first introduction, and I, I thought it was, was great to, to sort of get some experience in something that it really is an afterthought in the public mind because you think about buying cars, fixing cars, right? From, from somebody who's not in the industry, that's why you go to a dealer. Uh, and, and so you really don't have that much experience with it. Um, you know, to the extent that, that Dynatron's working in the Colorado market, we definitely want to open them up to make sure that all of the dealers know that you're there, right? Uh, some people have these relationships. Some people switch them out from time to time. The other thing that I would say is, you know, of our 270 dealers in 2021, 61 of them were in buy sales. And so our market is changing very quickly. And largely the trend is it's going from individually or group held shops to 
uh, rapidly growing groups or out-of-state groups and also publicly traded. And so for some of those sales, we're getting folks into Colorado for the first time. Um, for some of those sales, we're getting longtime partners who are either passing off to their children or selling to another. We have maybe five Colorado groups that are pretty rapidly expanding right now. Um, and we just want to make sure that they have enough resources so that if they are scaling and they've tried to do something internally and that process can't scale with them as they'd like to grow, uh, that, that they know where to look out to, to find the assistance that they need. Outstanding. That's absolutely. So, like, where do you want to see this, like, evolve to a little bit more? I mean, I know you've got a good foundation with what you're doing with what we're talking about, but is there an area that you'd be like you would want to get more in depth in or is there something you would like to see grow? You know, I, I think from our side, you can't let the business get too far ahead of the government, right? right? The government's always going to be three, four years behind. And now it's starting to catch up with us. We sort of had a proliferation right around COVID, around the beginning of it. And now the FTC is coming back around and saying, wait, maybe we need to take a look at this. Uh, there was always, always sort of an axiom in government that uh, if it breeds, tax it. If it still breeds, regulate it. If it still breeds, kill it. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, they're, they're following that track. So we're starting to see a lot of regulations right now that are very invasive. And they're going to change the way that we do business. So, it, you know, I think in this growth process, we want to make sure that all of the, the providers that are in the industry are staying in touch with us so that we can keep you guys up on the legislative legislation and make sure that the products remain compliant through this sort of evolution of, of government interference in the business. So, I mean, why do you think so many more of these, I mean, as like you said, they're starting to catch up, but how, why do you think there's so many more of these regulations or evasive regulations coming into play now? Um, I, I think you just opened the door for a political rant. I'm not going <laughs> to bite on that. Um, at, at the end of the day, you know, as, as much as we're all learning, the consumers are learning too. Yes. And so uh, as time goes on and they learned, it's, it's inevitably a process of, I wish I would have known that when I brought my car. Yeah. I mean, that's the biggest thing is like gap is a huge deal. It's like sure. what, when you buy a car, gap, that's what I want gap. Right. I mean, that's definitely on there. I may look at some other stuff, but it's not until somebody like takes the second. To t- and then not a lot of people get the chance to get educated on it, you know, and it's a wham, bam process. For sure. they just, some people don't even know what they bought at that point. You know, I am either lucky or unlucky, depending on how you look at it. I've actually used my gap. I had a car stolen when I lived on the East Coast. And so I, I was well aware for the last three purchases. I 100 percent want that because I would not have been able to move on from the theft had I not had it. And so, you know, helpful for me in the advocacy of growing that bill. Uh, at the same time, we want every consumer to understand, like, you don't have to have this, but if you live in a high-risk area or if, you know, you're a, a high-risk driver because you've been in five or six crashes, then <laughs> probably it's something you should look into because you could otherwise be looking at a bankruptcy. Absolutely. I mean, it could, it can definitely take an impact really quick, and then you're out of a car. Right. Right, I mean, right. what, are you, what are you going to do now? You're out of a car. And so... Hardest it, way to pay your bills is by losing your job. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. So, I mean, what else? I mean, the biggest thing would be, you know, you're, 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 you're driving evolution in these conversations, right? Getting the legislatures involved. But what's the back end? Like, if some of these things that the government come out with, like, what's, what would you say if, if, if a dealer right now didn't know what to do if in their state? They come out with some regulations or something like that. What's the best, like, how is a step-by-step process you would put in front of them, or first-step process, about how they go about combating that or getting the legislator involved? Right. Um, You know, I'd say it's twofold. One is just staying involved. Clearly, everybody here is a member of NADA. For the federal regulations, they will keep you up to date. They have the driven guides. They have all of the resources. They have an entirement government affairs and policy team that are very good at putting on webinars and explaining to you in detail. 
Um, if you go there and that's not enough detail, generally your state association will take it another level further. We also run late on the state regulations. So coming from a very blue state that is very environmentally friendly, California and Colorado are doing things that the rest of the country is not doing. Yeah. So we're sort of the primary on those types of things. Um, you know, in Colorado, for instance, um, prior to coming to the CEO role, I was a general counsel, and every three years I made a compliance guide just for Colorado regulations. After its third edition, that thing popped up to almost 500 pages. We oh, can geez. barely fit it in a three-inch binder now. I know California's is two books. Two so, books? So it's a lot. But, um, I mean, point being, you know, when somebody asks me a question, generally I'll fire off one of the sections to them in an email, say, hey, take a look at this. If you still have questions, give me a call back. But it refers you to all of the laws, gives you any written publications, or in this case, you know, endorsed providers that we might work with in that field to say, hey, we've hosted a webinar, here's the link to it, it's on our website, free to you. Um, but just making sure that they stay into uh, connected with the association. Because I would say, you know, if I have 270 dealerships in Colorado, maybe 30 of them have compliance officers, maybe 40. Maybe another 40 have corporate compliance officers in another state who I do keep in very close contact with. Um, the rest of them sort of rely on us. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that they know that that door is always open. Especially in our case in Colorado, we lost a CEO of almost two decades uh, earlier this year when I came in. And so it's a matter of if there are dealerships out there that we haven't touched in a year, do you even know that this change happened? Do you know who to come to within the association when you're looking for this type of information? Um, and if you don't, you know, it's incumbent on us to get out there and get into dealerships to say, here's who we are and what we do. Yeah. Here are our partners for these specific areas. Like, we want to make this available to you. We'll have a directory available later on this year that, you know, from the provider's perspective, we'll have all of our dealers, uh, addresses and point to contact. And then all of our allied members divided up by what they do, alphabetized. So that if there's ever a dealer saying, well, hey, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking for new DMS. That mine doesn't work for me anymore. You can go to our directory and find three or four of them that it would be good first looks. So, oh, fantastic. I, I mean, it basically really, really is bridge building, right? It, it's less substantive work. Um, we have always let our, our dealers know who their state representatives and senators are. That can be tough just because like in a dealership, there's so much turnover. Yes. They're, they're uh, elected at the state level either every two years or every four years, uh, and we have term caps. So it's not like the federal government where you could have the same guy since the late 70s. Yeah. Um, every couple of years, yours is going to turn over. We stay on, that on, stay on top of that for you uh, so that you don't have to. And then especially in the non-metro areas, we try to make sure that they get out to your dealership at some point. Well, I think that's huge. I mean, the collaborative effort that you're making – so they know the process, even if the rep change or even if the representative is, is whoever it is, they still are informed on the process and have ways to go with it. So that's outstanding. So as you kind of like wrap up the, the episode here, the podcast, what I always love to do is give my guests final thoughts. Like, so to anybody that's out there as listeners or anything like that, you got any final thoughts or anything um, that you would like to say to them? You know, I, I think it really is just a matter of staying involved. I, you know, I speak from the government side. That's where my background is. And I've always said you can never really govern in a bubble, right? right. And government is sort of a game of inches. You have to go a little bit by little bit. But I think the same applies on the business side. You can't be successful in a bubble. If you think about any individual uh, dealership, they probably have 10, 15, 20 service providers that have helped them get there or at least help them grow to the point that they could in, you know, internalize that role and, and build the capability. So uh, it's just a matter of sort of keeping your team together and keeping everybody uh, interlocked and on the same page. Outstanding, brother. Well, Matt, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Thank you. Come back. 
sure. I'd love to. <laughs> He's like, yes, for sure. Absolutely, Maureen. Thank you for sitting in with us. Thank you. And I just, you know, Matthew, it's just been a pleasure. You know, I know that thank you're you. coming into this role, and I've talked to you when you've been on the road in between <laughs> dealerships, and I, I think that says a lot because that's a lot about our culture is get out there and hear what's going on. The best way we can serve our, our partners is to understand where they're coming from. So I admire what you've been doing. I know that you've Thank got you. a, a lot of great building that you've been doing in your team as well, and, and we're happy to be a part of it. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely, brother. Well, let's conclude our episode for today. Matt, thank you again, brother. All right. Take care. Thank you for joining another episode of the Fuel Podcast. Always be sure to like, follow, or subscribe to be notified when new episodes are being dropped. And click the link below to review any of the show notes for additional information. Or you can email the Fuel Podcast with the link as we encourage any feedback or any questions or comments from our listeners. Until next time, I'm your host, Alex Keyes, with the Fuel Podcast for fixing underperformance and evolving leadership.